904 be the song of invitation. <clears throat> Let us notice him 604 at this time as we encourage Brother Harrison as he come forward. We ask that we stand as we sing him 604. We stand, please. You may have your worldly pleasure, your silver and your gold. You may pile up all the riches that this whole world can hold. But I'd rather have my Savior and with him firmly stand. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him by and by. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him in the Oh, I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him in glory land. You may talk about your riches, your diamonds, and your pearls. You may gain the wealth for riches of this and all the world. But the Savior is more precious. With him I'll take my stand. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him by and by. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him in the Oh, I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory land. There is one thing I can boast of, salvation from the fall. I'm an heir to wealth and glory, my father owns it all. That is why I'm shouting happy and go at his command. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him by it. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him in the Oh, I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. For I want to be ready to meet him in glory. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him by it. Oh, I want to be ready to meet him in the sky. Oh, I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. For oh, I want to be ready to meet him in glory land. Amen. God's blessings be upon you, and we thank you for being with us today, and 
we are happy to be able to stand before you and speak the word of God for your consideration. All of those of you who are visiting with us, we are more than pleased that you're here. We trust that you will find reason to keep coming and being with us and even becoming a part of our congregation. We would be very pleased to have you, a brother or sister of this church, as we all strive together for meeting the requirements of the kingdom and of God. I want to spend some time today talking about making decisions and because we're headed for some major decisions here at the church in terms of our relationship with God. And uh, I want to challenge us with the concept of change, uh, not change for change's sake, not just to say that we change, but changing for the better. Identify that which is worthy of our consideration and our adjustments. And of course, uh, some of you are aware that I don't feel that we've made the changes generally that we need to make. And many times we have not made those changes because we have not been challenged to make them. Uh, how many of you were impressed with when you were baptized and became a member of the church that you had to make changes? Uh, we are more or less impressed with getting baptized and the need to be baptized and the requisites of, of that. So what I want to do today is just ask you to really think seriously about the concept of change for the better of this congregation and of your family. And again, the reason why I'm doing this today is because I have for the last year uh, been talking about adjustments that we need to make in the life of our church. I've published materials and made it available in the four years of the church of ideas to get you to thinking with me and understand what I'm talking about. And uh, uh, therefore, if you have paid that material any attention or those materials any attention, you're better prepared to consider what I might be saying today than you would be if you have not done that. Another document that I place before you today for part of our sermonic approach is uh, Simpson Street Church of Christ facing serious challenges. And I uh, mentioned this on Wednesday night, and we had a very good discussion last Wednesday night. But uh, this is raising the fact that people are declining in their attendance of church. It's a, it's a national issue. And in fact, I raised the question, should we not be asking why these people are not coming or why they are ceasing to come and rather than accusing them or condemning them for leaving? Uh, the sword has two sides to it. And uh, uh, we were reading in the newspaper just this past week, uh, my wife was, that they gentleman who had been a member of the church with these, this uh, billboard sign thing coming out encouraging people not to come to church and to make a new direction was saying that he was active in the church and a church I think was United Methodist up to the time of desegregation and looking at how the church handled the issue of desegregation he left the church because his attitude was, his position was that if that's the way the church acts, I don't want to be a part of it. 
how sometimes we respond to that by saying you got an obligation to be in church regardless of what goes on. That may be your thinking, but we've got to deal with the thinking of the persons we're trying to attract and see what drives them off. And plus that anything that you and I can do that would enhance the potentiality of a person obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to do just that. Uh, one of our members curtly and correctly stated Wednesday night, how can we expect people on the outside to be excited about church when we on the inside are not as excited as we ought to be? And we evidence that we are not that really excited in many ways. So what I want to try to get us to do today, as I do from time to time, just get us to think about where we are, who we are, what the challenges are. And I've, I've chosen definite passages for brief consideration of that. And it, it interests me this past week, a letter came into our church office with no name, and the return address was 810 Simpson Street. And obviously, they didn't intend for us to know who they were. But I'm using it today in this effort that I'm making today to uh, say to us, we've got to be aware of how people outside of us are thinking. And thinking is changing in the world. This was a statement made to me, made to the church. I don't know from whom it came, but to all churches in metropolitan Atlanta and surrounding areas. And uh, it reads as follows. The pastors of this city should take notice because you are being given a warning from God. And this is, a, this is written direct to preachers. Uh, either you start doing what God called you to do, to which is to help the community and stop pocketing God's money. Or we're going to pray to God to remove you from office. If you don't know what you are doing, then get down from there. But God wants to carry out his message. If you are not doing his will, then please, for God's sake, remove yourself and let the real man of God do the Lord's work. This move of God is real. And he goes along the same line saying more of, a, more of the same. And I cite that only because not only are we in the church sensitive to the fact that we are not doing all we could do and that we need to make some changes in our leadership, in our ministries, to be more realistic of what people have been led to believe God is about, but there is a grassroots move outside of the church in saying that we're not coming and you're not doing what ought to be done. Now, that's not 100% correct, but it's strong enough for us to pay some attention to it and to see if we can't tighten up our belts. And that's what I want to ask us to give some consideration to today. Now, it's one of those Sundays that from time to time I do I don't ask you to sit in judgment on my preaching today. I don't ask you to sit in judgment on yourself, but I just want you to hear what I say, take it, pack it away, and give consideration, see if it can guide you in any further direction for God. Two scriptures that I employ, uh, one is uh, Genesis 12 and 5, and the other one is Deuteronomy. 
And I would take, consider, take time for give consideration to Genesis 12 and 1, 1 through 5. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, it's a definite challenge from God. God had said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. Now sometimes we've got to make a physical move. Sometimes we have to make a theological and philosophical move because we cannot do what God wants us to do in our present posture. That's what conversion is all about. Now, just ask yourself the question while you have yourself on the chopping block with nobody with the, in the, hand, in the axe in their hand but you. What changes have you been led to make because of your relationship with God? What did you understand you ought to change about your life in coming into the church? And for the years you've been in the church, have you been responsive to the call of God to make adjustments so what God wants to get done can get done? Those are hard, difficult questions. But the fact remains that many of us are essentially the same now as we were before we were baptized. No real big changes, except now we're in the church, we used to be outside. And I'm saying that God is calling us to something greater than that. God calls us from the pit of ourselves to deny ourselves. And that's not done simply by saying it. We have to make the change. Get thee out of thy country. And I like to substitute for that. Get thee out of thyself. Walk away from yourself and from your kinfolks and the groups and the gangs you moved in that predetermined your conduct and how you thought. That's what God is doing with Abraham. He could not accomplish what he wanted to accomplish with Abraham as long as Abraham was in the earth of the Chaldeans and among his kinfolk. Now, that's more than strong. That's very strong. And it's high cotton as to what God is calling on me to do. That's the reason why I wanted you to be relaxed and just hear what I'm saying. Give every consideration to it. Take it and work it out in your life. How deep is God's call to you? We cannot do what God wants us done to do in this community just thinking the way we've been thinking all the time. Now, I don't like that any more than you do necessarily, but I know by, by the same token, it's not going to happen. We must continue to be complacent and conceited about our own lives. Every opportunity God puts before us is a new challenge. And I'm impressed that it is a challenge of depth. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Has it ever, have you ever questioned why God called on Abraham? Have you ever questioned why God called on you? 
Or do you think he's calling on you for anything? What is the depth of God's call beyond our coming here on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night, etc.? Does, does, does the totality of ourselves respond to a call from God? Do we have the power and the audacity to say no to something we know that God wants done? It's a loss of control of yourself. You're no longer you're on. You've been bought with a price. And this is hard stuff, but we have to deal with it. Unto a land that I will show thee. Because I need you to be relocated in terms of your thinking, your energies, so that you can think differently. People who have been on substance abuse all of their lives, recovery has to do with a new mind, a new thought. And I'm told that when I was substance abuse officer in the military, that you cannot get a man to change about substance abuse until he makes up his own mind or sees the need himself or herself to make that adjustment. And I'm saying the whole land is laid out before us. But we will not conquer this land from the persona of ourselves. We've got to be willing to begin to think as God wants us to think and lose control of ourselves, which is, which is a real challenge. Now that's the first verse of the 12th chapter of the book of uh, Genesis. Then I like verse 5. I always have love verse 5 because it shows that they set out and they went and they arrived. Verse 5 says, And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their substance. I like that. All of the substance that we have and went out, the substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And the key verse is, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. They left their going to the land of Canaan, and the recorder says, and they came into the land of Canaan. They accomplished their objectives. We don't want to simply set objectives here. We want to experience the fulfillment of those objectives. But it, it calls for an, a, an abandonment of ourselves and of our own location and taking up new goals and responsibilities. The other passage I want to give consideration to for nailing down our ideas of, of, of change is the fourth chapter Second chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. He says, and then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. As the Lord had spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spake to me and say, saying, you have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. Are we ready to do that kind of thing? Are we willing to go as far after God as we can see? That's long beyond what we see. 
But can we see ourselves making the kinds of sacrifices, not financially, but lifestyle sacrifices? That God can have his way with us and may, may mean far more serious adjustments than we want to make. Am I willing to make a new direction in ministry for this church? Am I willing to sit in judgment on my preaching and my teaching and saying it's not being effective, it can be more effective if you do this? Am I willing to say 30-minute sermons, hour sermons, not getting it, cut it down to five and get it done? Am I willing to make those kind of adjustments? Am I willing to spend the time with God remolding myself into what God wants me to be? So it may call for a change in my ministry, but you've got to be open to that. Once you come before God, no holes barred. You can't be telling God what you ain't going to do. And that's what makes this a real challenge. Abraham, get up out of the earth of the Chaldeas. This is where you've been all your life. All the commonplace things, all the things that with you are familiar. Leave those alone. And go into a country which you should afterwards receive for an inheritance. God pricked Abraham's heart. Or is your heart available for God to make an entry? Do you dare to think that the only people God called on during Abraham's time was only Abraham? What about the multiplied other hundreds of folk whom God called? There's no record of their response. Do you think that at Simpson Street, God only calls Andy Hairston or uh, any other brother or sister to do something and not you? God called and used Abraham, as I've said for years, because Abraham had the intuitive ability to answer. If we don't have the built-in ability to be responsive to the challenge of God, God cannot use us. So we willing to turn and go in a, another direction and ask God, what are you asking me to do with this ability that you have given me? Why has God chosen you to lead or me to lead? And I think this gets some, some critical areas for us because I think at some points, and I'm trying to touch what we, what, 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 where our concerns, I think, are, I don't think we've ever made our peace with the fact of God's anointments and God calling people and not this person. And we tend to think sometimes that the only people God ever called are those in the Bible. Uh, does God call people today? Does God challenge people today? Does God invite people into his ministry, into his life? My answer there is a thousand times yes. And how are we responsive to that? Why has God given me the ability to do what I do and not given it to you? Why has God given you certain abilities and I don't have them? Because that's God's business of calling. And we are weak in the area of following leadership, regardless of whom it may be. 
Because we cannot distinguish between God having called one person to do something, which that person is doing well, and not call the other person who insists on doing it when they can't do it. See, we don't have God in our lives and in our midst like he has to be. Therefore, the church is left to be run by us according to how we think. And therefore, we have no problem with how we mistreat or mishandle anybody because we're not answerable to God. We're answerable to ourselves. And we take our cliques and our clans and our groups and tend to do what we will. How does one become a leader? By divine preparation and commitment. Go into my vineyard and work in whatsoever is right, I will pay thee. Isaiah said to his folk in Isaiah 9 and 16, the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. It is unquestionable that according to the Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 11th verse and subsequent verses, God laid a responsibility upon pastors, elders, teachers that no one else has. And I'm so convinced and impressed with that passage that those functionaries must carry the church forward. And one cannot refuse to live out God's principles or qualifications. One of my drive, one of my hopes in what we're about to try to do is to Free our eldership up of anything that's material. There is nothing in Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 11th verse, that make elders money handlers. The call is beyond that. And not only must they be committed, they must equip the saints. Now, brethren, it just seems clear to me that if we are, if our elders and our ministers are not equipping the saints, they don't get equipped. That's a function that we have. And we must do that effectively and efficiently. And we must always be looking for ways to grow in the ability, apt to teach. Now, are we willing to turn our lives around and look at the areas of our lives where we are not doing and not accomplishing what God wills us to accomplish and start getting that done? That's the big challenge. It's like the minister hearing the word of God, go ye therefore and teach all nations, and says it's good to do that, but he never goes anywhere. If no one ever goes and preach, how is the preaching going to take place? How are people going to be led to Christ if the minister does not inform them, the preacher does not proclaim the word? That's a unique responsibility of those who preach and teach. And I know that some of you may be saying that you mean that particular person. Preaching is a task of responsibility that God ordains through which people are brought to Jesus Christ. And many people lead people to Christ who are not preachers. And across the years have done great jobs of doing that. 
But those who have taken up the yoke, Abraham had to do what Abraham had to do. And I just don't think that message has really come across to us. And for some time I've been thinking about it with reference to myself. I don't remember ever having been taught as a child, and I've gone to church ever since I was a child. I attended business meetings of the church at 10 and 11 years old because we were active in church, and I didn't know not to come. Two or three young men with me, we all went to business meetings and everything, and no, the older, older brothers never told us not to come, so we thought we were brothers just like they were, and we went. But I don't ever remember anybody taking me aside or in a group and saying to me, here are some responsibilities you have. Here's how you build your life. My life development as a Christian is more or less pick and choose like being a successful husband. Nobody ever taught me that we try to grab the right thing. It's a bunch of patchwork. And God does not intend that his church act that way. So therefore he has set in the church those who are to develop the train. And none of us have a right to bypass it. I said to my brother all the time, they don't have a right not to be an elder, not to be a deacon. You don't have that right. If you can qualify, you're obligated. And you're not an elder or a deacon because you say you are. Or a minister because you say you are. But measuring up to it, are we willing to make that kind of turn here in September 2010 that I've never been told I had to make? So let me take all the weight of it myself. I'm not putting it on to what you were taught. But I was never a member of a congregation as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, where someone took the responsibility of advising me to develop along certain lines. My development had a lot to do with my own interest and my own commitment. But we've got to change that if the church is going to arrive. And this is not a question between you and me or myself or you and yourself. It's a question, what does God want? What does God require? And how can we go about making that happen? It doesn't happen because we come together and sing and pray or we preach sermons. It's something much more profound. It's a willingness to move the self out of socket and to allow God to move in. That Deuteronomic passage, you have encompassed this mountain long enough. Everything they could accomplish at Mount Seir had already been done and the rest of the time was useless in the living. Nothing else going to be accomplished. For God ain't no need of you, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, and all the staying in the earth of the Chaldeans no more. It's been milk dry. Now, the little programs that we have, which are great, but how far reaching are they? What are the other things that we must do in order to bring people to Christ and confirm Him? 
In what ways have we changed now, and what ways are we willing to change? The document that I released today uh, deals with the fact of uh, people asking questions about, about the church. And I suggested that there's 10 things we need to ask ourselves a question on. And those are the kind of things that get us to thinking. And sometimes we don't like to have to think. But I want to give my whole life to God. And we enjoy that relationship. Why does God have leaders? And how can we best develop those leaders? I see it in our zone programs. I see it in our ministries. And you see it in other places where people are trying. This is my job. Our job, our responsibility to get as close to that person trying to develop and help them develop rather than to being critical and condemning as to what they're trying to do. If there's been no real change in your life and you're able to sit in judgment on that, not a statement of condemnation but an observation, just ask yourself, what changes have you made over the last 40 years? What changes have you made in the last 10 years? I think we can ask those questions and we can answer them. And what are some of the changes we need to make by you for Simpson Street to be a more palatable church for Jesus Christ? There is no church apart from us. There is no improvement, improvement apart from me. I'm a full participant in the total life of the church and every soul that belongs. So, have we encompassed this mountain long enough? How attentive are we to worship service? What is this hour called worship? How important is it? How are our children being trained to think about worship? and glorification and honor to God. Is it time to roam the halls or to stand in the foyers and talk or whatever the case may be? How sacred is this time? I feel that it's my obligation to impress my children that I'm serious about God. And if I'm serious about God, you're not going to stand me, find me standing in the hall loosely talking while worship is going on. And we don't need to train our children that way. They don't need to be trained along. They need to be trained in the sacredness of worship. What are the changes we're going to make? What are the adjustments that we're going to make that will be highly beneficial to the kingdom of God? You have encompassed this mountain long enough. Turn ye northward to accomplish God's stuff. And I'm not challenging you, asking you to give serious thought about that. Not whether or not you like the sermon today, but if you as hot, compunctured, as pricked as I am, I tremble when I think about how many years I've spent in the church and how much of that time has been seriously devoted to change that God wants me to make.
And that's all I'm asking for today. I want to accomplish in the taking of that mountain. And I want to be listed with you among those whom as Moses, not Moses, but Abraham and Sarah and Lot, they came into the land of Canaan. We want to accomplish everything that God wills us to accomplish. And you can have a lot to do with that. And we pray God will lead you to be fully responsive to his call. There are those of you here who no doubt thought about some of these very same things long before today's sermon. And I want to ask you to pray with us as we continue to work along these lines, as I continue to release material and uh, information as to some directions that we can take uh, that's going to be published and, and put in every member's hand as to exactly what we're talking about, uh, as to uh, how we can better handle our life of our church and incorporate more people in the life of the church and allow those who with abilities and talent to get involved to be involved and make it possible for that kind of movement. And I just simply ask as you see us moving in a positive direction, help us to be positive. Understand as best you can, question everything you need to. And if our attitude is not right about what we're doing and answering those questions, then we need to be called in question. But God has a lot at stake here. He's given us a beautiful place to worship, given us wonderful souls to share with, tremendous opportunities, emerging generations and time. And I ask that you would allow God the full corner on your life. You've heard God's word today, the challenge I've tried to issue. I don't feel that I've been totally complete in that, but yet I put forth my effort. And I ask that you complement that by giving a lot of thought to it. And that's time for feedback on that. Brother Harrison, I was listening to your sermon the other day and I thought about this. I, I need to discuss this idea. What about this one? I think that's how we grow. We continue to grow. None of us are beyond discussion level. And this church is not going to be built or maintained by any one person or two or three persons. It's going to be because we put our efforts together and no church has ever been achieve, achieved its purposes. But you do make a difference. You can make a difference. You can bring about the change that God wills. But you've got to be honest with yourself. We've got to be honest with ourselves and say, is God calling me to change? And am I willing to make the change? And what are the changes that I need to make? And nourish them as we move along. One change God asks you to make is to deny yourself, pick up a cross, and follow him. Hear the gospel and believe it. And when I say that, I mean we are responsive to it. We yield our whole selves to God. And I know that's not going to come overnight. But I do the best I can with the yielding that I have. I, I, I fulfill my, God's will in my life as best I can. You fulfill God's life, will in your life as best you can. And God increases the ability to do so. We grow in faith and in the nature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you to, and pleading with you to consider with me 
moving and making the adjustments that whatever they may be in life, that God's church can go forward. We've been around this mountain long enough. God has called us from the era of the Chaldeas to a new location. And that's whatever will be spelled out for us in the future as we continue to progress. We ask that you please respond. If you heard God's word, then you believe it. Are you willing to repent of your sins, confess Christ Jesus, and put him on in a water of grave of baptism and arise up from to walk with him in a new life? The Bible says you become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Are you here today to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ? Give it to him anew. God is calling and God receives. Brother uh, Rikes is going to be leading us in our hymn of invitation. If you're here to come forward, we ask that you come as Brother Bragg leads us as we stand together. And then how are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace? Yes, how are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb On your garments spotless are they white And snow are you white In the blood of the Lamb Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest a moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb On your garments spotless are they white As snow are you white In the blood of the Lamb When the bridegroom cometh will your robe be white, pure and white in the blood of the Lamb. Will your soul be ready for the mansion bright and be white in the blood of the Lamb? Are you white? Blood in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are you coming by lift of the white and snow? Are you are in the blood of the Lamb? Are you are? In the blood, in the 
cleansing blood of the Lamb. Oh, your garments spotless are they white as snow. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? For all of your coming and for your presence, we appreciate you so much. And we always look forward to you, your being here and packing the house one day before I leave here for glory. <laughs> we appreciate your presence ever so much. A great day in the Lord, and we are very pleased today to receive a soul for baptism. Yeah. I was coming down uh, from, uh, up from the NA booth, uh, AV booth, rather, uh, this morning, and I met Sister... Uh, Dudley, and I said, well, who's this very nice-looking lady with you? She said, that's my mom, <laughs> and wonderful to have her, and, and she said, was she speaking to the preacher? I said, yes, and uh, she said, well, I've decided today to rededicate my life to God, and uh, so I met with her a little bit on the seat before because I wasn't sure where she was regarding baptism, and I said, I have a class with you. And when I got up to leave, she said, when did I get baptized? <laughs> she was down the track ahead of me on that one. And we're just real happy to have her here today. And it's my pleasure to take, to take her confession and to compliment uh, Sister Dudley on, on, on her personal evangelism. <laughs> Very good. When you can evangelize your family and get them in, you're really making some, some speed. We appreciate a whole lot. And we're going to ask you, uh, Sister Ford, would you please stand? Do you believe all your heart Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Yes, sir. That confession brought death to your Savior, bring life to you. If only be faithful unto God after baptism until death. And the baptism you're anxious about, we're going to do it right now. Thank you. Right. We, God bless you. Let the church say amen once again. Amen. Brother Harrison continues to deliver wonderful message, Brother Harrison, today. He, he made several rhetorical questions, but one question that stood out the most, are, are, are we willing to make change ourselves? And we thank you, Brother Harrison, for planting that seed in all of us. Thank you so much. Today is a glorious day. Every time I see this young man, and I do mean young man come forward. I've, I've been here since 1985, and Brother Clifford Thomas has always struggled. But he's, he's been very resilient in his struggles. He, he always continued to fight on. He has come forward today asking the church to pray for him. He has been to the doctors, but he want to turn his illness over to God. And he's asking the church to pray for him. Yes. Would you bow with me as I pray for Brother Thomas? Thank you so much, Father God, for this day, this avenue of prayer, Father God. We know, Father God, that when we speak to you, that you listen. We know, Father God, that you hear all of our pleas. Father God, we're coming to you at this moment, at this time, praying for Brother Clifford Thomas. Brother Clifford Thomas is a strong example of, of continuing to fight and not to let things hold him back. We're praying, Father God, that you intercede in his life, 
that you be with the doctors, Father God, as they administer to him. We know, Father God, that all things are possible through you. And we're praying, Father God, that you make this illness a possibility to go away from Brother Thomas. We're praying for him very mightily, Father God, that you continue to lift him up, to continue to keep his, his willingness and his, his soul intact, Father God. Help us, Father God, as we rally around this precious soul to strengthen him and to give him the encouragement, Father God, that he so desperately needs. We thank you, Father God, for this church, for our minister, and for all of its members. In the name of Jesus, we offer this prayer. Amen.